So uh, we're starting a new series um, this, uh, this morning, and we'll be here for probably at least you know, four, maybe four or five, six weeks, just depending on, on how this thing goes. But uh, this was kind of laid on my heart to think about uh, life after death. And I'm calling it ever after, because many times we think about, when you hear that in a story, it usually says, you know, happily ever after. And there's this sense of like, from this point forward, right? They were happy from that point forward. They were happily ever after. And, and the thought is, like, there is an ever after for each of us. And what does that look like? And, and actually, you know, can yours be happy or not, right? Because I think sometimes uh, that's, that's a hard thing to grasp of what that really looks like. And really what, what we're, what we're going to focus on today uh, is actually the ending, because I think if you can fully understand the ending, it brings about a, an understanding to the here and now. And what I mean by the ending is, I mean uh, your death. Well, that got quick, sober, sober quick, didn't it? You know, the, the idea of, of your expiration, uh, of, of your death. And, and by the way, um, all great religious worldviews, all worldviews uh, answer some of these kind of foundational questions, right? Like, where did we come from? Uh, what's the problem with existence as it is? What's the solution uh, to that problem of our existence now? And then uh, how do we solve that problem? And then the, the other you know, main question that a lot of worldviews answer is, what happens when you die? Now, if I were to ask you that question, you know, just one-on-one, how would you answer that question? What happens, what happens when you die? And, and actually, how you answer that question, it really kind of shows uh, your spiritual understanding. It shows how you see the world. It actually shows really how you would answer all some of those other questions, actually. What happens uh, when we die? It's a major uh, worldview question that, that all societies, all cultures have tried to answer. It's why the ancient Chinese and the Egyptians have elaborate tombs, you know, with supplies and servants and the like. It's why the Hindus believe that when you die, you reincarnate and you might come back as a cow and that's why you have to protect the cows because that might be your uncle or you get it better and then you finally you you uh, you know reach this point of nirvana where you cease to exist or the viking warriors who aim for Valhalla not Wahala and not Hogwalla but Valhalla uh, the resting place of the dead Um, the scripture tells us that eternity is written in the heart of man in other words there is something in us that, that, that we know, and we'll get there next week, this idea of, of eternity and how it's written in our hearts that, that there is something in the, every culture, even how they understand uh, the, the, the way of life, is that there is an ending and something happens at the ending of this. And it's interesting as you kind of analyze our modern, modern culture because in some ways this is kind of taboo. We, we don't talk about death a whole lot. Um, and I think sometimes it's because uh, we have a fixation on youth on being youth, uh, youthful, on staying young, on staving off old age or at least looking like it, right? This is why uh, people spend billions of dollars on Botox and plastic surgery and hair dye and hormone therapies and wearing hip clothing when you're too old to be wearing that kind of stuff, you know? Uh, it's the currency of value in our culture. It's the currency of relevance in our culture. Somehow this youth and vitality. And so everybody wants to appear old, uh, younger. Everybody wants to not seem so feeble or so fragile. And so in some ways we've, we've disregarded this idea of, of getting old and even of dying. And the only hints we have of death in our culture is like this uh, this mockery, if you will, you know, like this lampooning of it and mocking of it in slasher films or the celebration of the macabre, you know, the, the deep, dark things, uh, even cutesy Halloween celebrations. It's like how our culture is trying to, to deal with death. And 
And if you think about it again, how you view death, how you see death impacts how you're going to live today. And I really want to make that connection for you as you're thinking about your own death. And yes, uh, today is about your own death. It's for you to think about and consider your own death because there is a healthy view of death. And there's a biblical understanding of death that I want you to embrace and I want you to understand because I think it's going to help you appreciate life if you truly understand about death and what the scriptures say. And if I could just simplify it this way from the Bible... uh, Uh, Death is not the end of life. Amen? Death is not the end. Death is actually the beginning of eternal life. It's a different reality. It's a different understanding. And we'll get there next week. We're going to get there in a couple of weeks as we're talking about heaven and hell and what that looks like, what the afterlife looks like. But it's important for us as modern Christians to uphold a healthy perspective of death because, again, it helps us as we embrace a healthy understanding of death. It helps to fuel us in the here and now and how we're going to act differently even from this point forward. So let's lay a little bit of theological groundwork in Genesis 3. Why do we die? Or, to paraphrase, how do we get in this mess? You know, again, this is like some of these foundational questions. Well, death is the consequence of sin. Did you know that when Adam and Eve were created in the garden, that God's intention was for them to experience a relationship with him in a perfect uh, place of obedience and submission where the, the creator and the creation would commune together and then sin enters the picture like a great wrecking ball and shatters that perfect relationship and it separates creation from creator. You might be asking, well, what is sin? A good working definition, a simple definition is sin is rebellion. Sin is when we shake a fist at God who's told us how to live. I mean, you know, when you, when you buy a car, you probably read the manufacturer's uh, handbook that's given to you because the manufacturer made the book and shows, uh, made, you, made your car and shows you how the best way to, to take care of that car. Well, we have a handbook that was given to us. Our creator who made us has given us a handbook, and we look at those rules, and we look at how God has told us to live, and we go, nah, I'm going to do it my way. That's called rebellion. And we shake our fist at God, and many times uh, we tell God, no, we're going to do it our, our way. I, I choose how I, I want to do it. Uh, we choose sin over God time and time again, and we assert our own will, and we tell God we want to be king, and we want to be boss, and we want to call our own shots. And quite frankly, God doesn't tolerate that kind of rebellion from his creation. And so in Genesis 3 here, we hear a, a beginning a list of some of the consequences uh, from Adam and Eve's sin when they took of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and they turned their back on God. This is how God responded in Genesis 3, starting in verse 17. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife, we won't even go there, and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. God told him that. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. You will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. By the way, he said it poetically over and over again, but he's like, you're going to have to work for it. It's going to get harder from here. I provided everything for you, and then you turned your back on me. And so guess what? You get to work for every morsel you put in your mouth. And by the way, I brought you out of dirt. I'm going to put you back into dirt. That's what, that's what the name Adam means, by the way. It means dirt. From dirt you came, from dirt you're going to return. Until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. From dust you are, and to dust you will return. What a terrible curse I mean God turns in, in his, in his uh, d- discipline of his children here he curses them he says you got to work the ground we didn't even get to the women's side where pain and childbirth imagine ladies it was easy peasy before this happened 
Okay? And then he says, you've got to work the dirt. And then, by the way, you're going to turn back into dirt. You're going to be uh, put back in the ground from which you came. And at least in Genesis, in the first five chapters, people lived longer. Have you ever noticed that? Uh, I look back in the first five chapters of Genesis, we've got kind of a, a hall of fame of old timers. We've got Adam who died at age 930. We've got Noah who died at age 950. And then the record holder, Methuselah, who died at 969 years old. By Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, there's been a cap put on the maximum lifespan. Look at this in Genesis 6 will be on the screen here. When human beings began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful and they married any of them as they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be 120 years old. That's, I mean, we went from like life everlasting with God in the garden. In five chapters now, beginning of chapter six, now it went from, you know, a couple of, you know, a couple of, uh, you know, a hundred years with God. Uh, to now, it's been limited to 120 years old. By the way, anybody know anybody over 120? You know why? Because God said nobody's going to live that long. 120. Can you imagine living to be 120 now? Can you imagine what your knees and hips would feel like? I mean, I'm already half dust by age 47 right now. <laughs> but we would consider ourselves blessed if we lived that long, 120 years. But you got to understand that there is a curse, that we live under a curse. And that curse is because of our sin. It's the universal effects on sin of our lives, on our bodies, on the decisions that we make and the decisions that people have made around us. And I think it's important that you need to embrace the limitation of your days. You need to embrace your mortality. Why? Because you have to embrace the curse before you can embrace the remedy for the curse. There is a remedy, by the way. That's the good news. We'll get the bad news, and then we'll get the good news. The bad news is we are accursed. The bad news is uh, that you will die. You're going to die. This is point number two. Uh, chances are, chances are, you're going to die. Now, why do I say chances are? Because there is an option of Jesus coming back first. And I'm kind of for that. The older I get, when I was 19, 20, looking forward to things in life, you know, more so. I mean, I'm still looking forward to things in life. That sounded terrible. I didn't want Jesus to come back because I wanted to get married. I wanted to have kids. I wanted to have all those things. Now that I've had those things, I'm kind of like, come on back, Jesus. It's good. You know, I've had these things to enjoy. Maybe you were that way too at some point in your life. But, you know, uh, Jesus could come back. And then you don't have to worry about it. But for most of us, should the Lord tarry, as he's tarried for 2,000 years, we don't know how long that is. The Bible says 1,000 years is a day to God, and a day is 1,000 years to God. It's been like two days for God. Think about that. So we need to embrace our mortality. You need to embrace the fact that you're going to die. I'm going to share with you a verse that I have used a lot in funerals, actually, in Pickens. I probably preach this in every house of mourning there is in Pickens County. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 2. Listen to this. Solomon, the wisest man in the Old Testament, said this. It's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. Think about what those two things are. House of mourning. Think Dillard's. Think about Mountain View. Think about Robinson Funeral, Funeral Home. Okay, those places. Think about Browns over in Seneca for all our Oconee folk. Okay, it's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. Why? For death is the destiny of everyone. And the living should take this to heart. The living should notice this. This verse has stuck with me for many, many years, and it's, it's, it's really been a, a, a wake-up call for me as I read that, every time I read that verse, particularly in a funeral, because he says, it's better to be at a house of mourning than a house of feasting. Now, let's think about house of mourning. We got it. Dillard, Mountain View, you know, Robinson's. What's a, what's a house of feasting? Let's just pick one. Let's pick Golden Corral. I mean, they got a chocolate fountain. 
all right? I mean, you could go there and lay it on. You need to wear your sweatpants when you go to Golden Corral, right? Uh, and, the, I mean, the unlimited ice cream machine. I mean, let's face it, right? And what Solomon is saying, listen, the wisest man in the Old Testament is saying that it's better for you to go to Dillard's than for you to go to Golden Corral. Now, I'm going to take a poll. After church today, who wants to go to Dillard's as opposed to Golden Corral? Who wants to go to Dillard's? Nah. Who would like to go to Golden Corral? Now, I looked up. Golden Corral has a brunch on Sunday, and this is what they feature. <sighs> Legendary breakfast buffet featuring cooked-to-order eggs, omelets, bacon, sausage, buttermilk, pancakes, crispy waffles, melt-in-your-mouth cinnamon rolls, and more. Create your own breakfast masterpiece at the omelet station. I mean, that sounds all right. And I think most of us would probably answer, I'd rather, I think I'd rather go to the house of feasting than the house of mourning. Solomon, in his wisdom, says that there's actually a, a preferred place you need to be. And I'm going to tell you why in just a second as you're thinking through this. This wisest man in the Old Testament said, it's better for you uh, to consider your own death. It's better for you to be sitting in a funeral home. It's better for you to, to ponder eternity than to be living in the moment for what the world has to offer. You know, all the made-to-order eggs, omelets, bacon, sausage, buttermilk, pancakes, and crispy waffles. And melt in your mouth cinnamon rolls. It's better to be actually. I just I just distracted half of y'all. You're now thinking about dinner, sorry, lunch today. But the reality is, that's kind of where we always think. You know, like that's our default. It's like what we can enjoy for the moment. What we can enjoy today. And Solomon says, no, you've got to ponder your end. You need to ponder uh, your death. And I'm thankful that I don't do that all the time. I hope you are too. Like, if you thought of, I mean, if you were like fixated on your own death, you'd never leave your house. You'd probably shut yourself up in your bedroom. You'd never leave your house in, in anticipation of, of, of what that might look like. And some of us actually avoid death. We avoid hospitals. Uh, we avoid funeral homes. We avoid sick people altogether because we don't like to think about that kind of thing. But Solomon here says, you need to be confronted with that. And I'm going, to, I'm going to make you, as your pastor today, I want you to think about your death. I want you to think about uh, your end. Because, again, as you understand your end, I think it will fuel your beginning. If you can understand and embrace your ever after, I think it will help you in the here and now, if that makes sense. And, and, and again, in this moment, you have to ponder these things. And this is why he says in Ecclesiastes 7.2 that we who are living should take this to heart. In other words, uh, you need to, to, to ponder this. You need to, to, to grapple with this. You need to embrace this because as you embrace this, it will help you. It will actually help you in the here and now. And it's a sobering thought. I mean, we celebrate birthdays, right? I mean, everybody's got a beginning, and, and it makes sense. I mean, again, we, we sometimes avoid this, but we, we will have a death date. Now, this sounds a little weird, but I found a tombstone generator, and uh, it's weird to make your own tombstone. I understand that. My name is Michael J., by the way. That was cool in the 80s when it was Michael J. Fox and stuff like that. But, uh, and yes, my birthday is July 22nd, as well as Nick Smith. Put it in your calendars now. Uh, but you have a birthday. Uh, but you're going to have a death day. And what's crazy is you don't know that day. I don't know that date for me. That could be decades from now. It could be next week. It could be months from now. And even as, I, even as I look at that and see that, there's a sobering thought to that, that everybody has, has an ending. There is a time uh, that your existence on this earth uh, uh, will end. 
And as we ponder that, as we ponder uh, our, our own uh, end, you have to ask certain questions like, well, am I ready? I'll ask you that question right now. Are you ready to die? Because you don't know. It, it could be this week. It could be a month from now. This is not to emotionally manipulate you. This is for you to come to grips with reality, to em- embrace your mortality. When I ask you, are you ready to die? I mean, some things can be avoided in life. You know, death and taxes are the two of those that we've been told. You're going to be born, and surely you're going to die should the Lord tarry. And this is why in Ecclesiastes 7 to 2 that, that Solomon would say, you need to pay attention. You need to wake up. You need to take this to heart because when you embrace this, it, it calls you to action because that time is coming. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but you're going to be dead a whole lot longer than you were alive. Have you ever thought about that? You're going to be dead a whole lot longer than you were alive. And again, we we have these goals. I mean, we think about a long life. But even if your life is cut short, I mean, in comparison to all of eternity, I mean, let's just say uh, you pass away before you're 120 years. That's the limitation. Let's just say you die when you're 70 or when you're 60 or when you're 50 or when you're 47. And and when when you die, I mean, that's just like the beginning of eternity. It's just the beginning. And, and when that happens for the believer, what happens when you die? And what, what happens uh, when you l- uh, leave this earth? What happens when you take your last breath on this earth? If the Bible is really true of what it says, then, guys, we've got nothing to fear. In fact, if this kind of stuff kind of freaks you out, maybe you need to think about your preparation. And that's why I would ask you, are you prepared? Are, are you ready? Are you ready to, to die? Because there's a sobering reality to this. And I think we should take some time. Because honestly, what happens with the little bit of life you're given on this side of eternity, that actually sets the trajectory of where you're going to spend the rest of your existence in eternal life. And this is important that we embrace this and that we understand this. And this is where we start to kind of contemplate. That is the bad news. You're going to die. It's the truth. But, but, but there is hope. That's the bad news. There is good news. Let me start by just a couple of verses. And these are verses that that are universally used to explain the gospel. Romans 3.23 tells us this. For all have sinned. That's me. Me too. Pastor too. All of us have sinned and what? We fall short of God's glory. We we, we fall short of of who God is and God's standard. As we read in Genesis 3, we all have sinned. Our ancestry sinned, and that has been passed on down to us. And because of that, we have fallen short. God's glory is holiness. God's glory is eternity. God's glory is everything good and glorious and great about everything of exemplar that God is. And we have fallen short of that standard because of the actions that we have taken for. All have sinned, and we've fallen short of that. In fact, we've kind of earned punishment. Romans 6.23, another stop in the Romans road of salvation, says, for the wages of sin is death. Anybody get a paycheck recently? How did you get a paycheck? You earned it. You, you do work. It's a wage. You earn death. You, because of, of what we have done, because of our sin, you know, you, you do the crime, you got to do the time, so to speak. When, when you have sinned against God, uh, the Bible tells us the wages of that sin, you have earned it, is, is death. And that's something that uh, is a consequence for our life on this earth. Now, I'm so glad there's a second half of that verse, Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but what? The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, Is there a difference between a wage and a gift? You betcha. 
Yeah. A wage is something you've earned. It's something you have, you have acquired by your own merit. A gift, though, is, is given to you because somebody cares about you and somebody loves you. A gift is given by a giver. You get a gift because somebody has you on their mind, because they, they want to give you this. It is not earned. It is something freely given. And the writer of Romans here is telling us that there is eternal life. It is possible, and it's not possible by anything you have can do by yourself within your own effort. The wages of your sin is death. But there is a gift offered. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so what I see here is I see a gift being given. You know what's cool about every gift is that there are two sides to every gift. Two sides to every exchange. There is a giver and there is a receiver. And I want you to see in this picture here, painted here in Romans 6.23, that God is offering eternal life as a gift. Now let that sink in for a minute. It's nothing you could do for yourself. It is a gift that God would give you. Why would he do that? Well, why do you give gifts? Because I got invited to the birthday party and I had to, you know, or something like that. Sometimes. But usually, it's because you care about somebody. It's because you love somebody. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that what? He, he's the giver. He gave. What's the gift? His only son. How do you receive that gift? Again, God stands giving you the gift of salvation. How do you receive it? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever, what? Believes in him. Receives eternal life. This is how you, and I have a question for you. Again, see God here holding out eternal life. But have you personally received, how do you receive the gift of eternal life? By believing in Jesus Christ. Have you personally had that exchange where you believed in Jesus? By the way, that is a great way to share the gospel with somebody. I think it's a beautiful picture here of God giving. He's giving us that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. And you need to ask yourself personally, have you ever received that gift from God? He is offering it to you as the giver. But at some point, you have to respond personally. I want to give you a little passage here from 1 Corinthians 15 that explains... How Jesus is the answer. He's the remedy. Uh, Jesus is the, the one who can remedy all this for us. This point number three is that Jesus defeated death for us. Listen to this from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 through 26. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, in other words, Christ died, Christ resurrected, but when he comes back, listen, those who belong to him will be also be resurrected. And then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom of, to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. I love this where... Paul kind of describes enemy, he kind of personifies enemy, uh, uh, death as your enemy. He says death is defeated. He has this picture here. It's almost like Jesus is the, the superhero, if you will, and he is the one who takes on death and he, he slays death. He defeats death for us. How did he do it? Well, the first part of this passage says that Jesus uh, resurrected from the dead. He is the first fruits of the resurrection. What is a first fruit, by the way? In the Old Testament, you know, it was an agricultural culture. And so uh, it was farming. 
And many of you have got blueberries and you've got tomatoes and you've got cucumbers and peppers you've grown all summer. You know, when you get that first, the first uh, fruit, the first vegetables that show up on the vine, that's called the first fruits, you know. And by the way, when that happens, when you get the first fruit, I mean, what if a drought comes? What if the sun intensifies? What if your, what if your plants dry up? What if that's the only harvest you get? No, you, you don't hoard it, you don't save it, and you don't even savor it. In the Old Testament, they would take the first fruit. By the way, this is a good, a good uh, example for us as we think about giving, us giving to God and giving of our tithes and offerings. But they would give the first fruit, they would give the first and the best to God. And that's hard to do because you don't know when the rain's coming next. But here's the thing. Who provides the rain? <laughs> uh, who brings the sunshine? Who makes your little plants grow in the ground after you put the seed in? Did you talk to the seeds and make them sprout out? No. Somebody is in charge of that. And so you take the first and the best and you offer that to God. And listen, it's an offering of hope because you're saying, God, I trust you. You gave me these first fruits. And guess what? I know there's going to be a second wave. I know there's going to be a third wave. That's why some of y'all are like peddling out as many blueberries as you can give. Because you know, you pick the blueberries and the blueberries keep coming back. You know, you pick the tomatoes, the tomatoes keep coming back. It's amazing as you think about that. It is a, it's an act of faith. It's an act of hope to say, you're going to provide. I know you have provided the first of this. I know you're going to keep providing. And so I give you the first. I give you the best. And Jesus is described here as the first fruits out of the grave. Whoa. Jesus is first and best. He was put in the ground, and guess what came out? Boom! Resurrection. He's the first from the ground. And what that means is, he is the first, and guess what? There's going to be other waves of resurrection. There's going to be other life coming out of death put in the ground. Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. Well, guess who the second fruits and the third fruits are? Us! We, listen, we will be resurrected. This is a beautiful promise as, as it's described of Jesus here as the first fruits of, of the resurrection. He is the first and the best offered on our behalf. And when Jesus was put in the grave, he is a part of the first harvest. And we're a part of the harvest that is to come. Sin has been defeated as described here. And, and I, I love here that Paul describes death as our enemy. And that it's diabolically opposed to us. Jesus steps in and faces death and defeats death decisively. At the empty Easter tomb. Isn't that awesome? Jesus died and Jesus rose again. And the promise is extended to us. Now why does that matter? Christian, death is not the end. Now there are other worldviews out there. And many of the worldviews that are, uh, have been espoused by our culture. I mean, one of those is secular humanism or the scientific secular humanism that basically, remember those questions that are answered? You know, one of those, that, well, where do we come from? Well, secular humanism, scientific secular humanism says, well, uh, we came from a primordial soup that was full of proteins and the lightning struck it and it created single cell organisms and they multiplied and evolved and they became double uh, double-celled uh, organisms, and eventually we evolved over billions of years, and here we are now. We've actually progressively gotten better as opposed to devolving, which is what happens uh, in most of, of things that happen in the world. Things usually devolve, not evolve, but we have gotten better. And the problem uh, with, our, with you is that uh, you, you have problems, you have sickness, you have uh, deficiencies, and through therapies, through uh, medicines, through all these things, we can make our lives better. And the, the last question is, well, how do you, what happens when you die? Well, how, what does secular humanism, what's the worldview of the, the age offer us in that? Well, secular humanism says, well, when you die, it's over. YOLO, 
take what you can get while the getting's good. Because when the getting's good, it's over. When you die, you cease to exist. And nobody remembers you two generations from now. Nobody. And so you better enjoy it while you got it. Suck the marrow out of this life. Because there's nothing after this. Ugh. Just, what? Guys, that's not what the Bible says. <laughs> there's hope after death, Christian. There's hope. The hope is eternal life. Eternal life with God, that our sins are forgiven and we are made right. And because God has gifted us this, as we receive that gift, when I die, this is not the end of me. And whatever I have to face on this side of life, whatever sickness I have to endure, whatever hardship I have to endure, I know that a better life is waiting for me. Eternal life with my creator, restored like Eden over again. And I get to be with my creator, God, forever and ever. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, or let me die. I'll be there with him. This is why in so many Christian cultures around the world that are undergoing tremendous amounts of persecution and hardship and toil, they're going through what, what Cameron just read to you uh, from that 2 Corinthians passage. This is an everyday reality for many Christians in this world. And you know what? They're not living for this world. You know why? Because there's a better life to come. And they believe that and they've trusted that. And no matter what happens to them on this side of, of, of life, there's eternal life. They've anchored themselves in the last verse of Psalm 23. For I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What can they do to us, Christians? It's a conundrum. How can they really hurt you? What can they really do? Hasten me to be with my Lord? Hasten me to start eternity? And everlasting life with Christ? Okay. If I got to face a, a terrible sickness, if I got to face whatever I've got to face, it is just the beginning because there's eternal life awaiting. And that's much better, much greater, much longer 3D with God forever and ever. I mean, guys, embrace that. Because listen, when you embrace that, it makes whatever you got to walk through right now tolerable. <laughs> Even short, shortens it. it. It puts it in perspective. Are you ready to die? Because if you're ready to die, it'll change how you live. Jesus said, I've come to give you life. And I've come to give you life abundantly. What's crazy is when you have surrendered to Christ, you have abundant life now until you die, and then you get eternal life. It's like best of both worlds. It's incredible. Are, are you experiencing that now? Are, are, are you walking with Jesus? Have you received the gift of salvation? Are you afraid of death? You know, when I was a kid, uh, you know that little time when you lay down in bed at night and before you drift off to sleep and it's just kind of quiet moments and I don't know about you, but I, I kind of waxed philosophical when I was little. I'd just think about things and think about big, some of these big questions, you know, and all this. And I, I remember being troubled in my mind. I mean, I would have these thoughts of like, what, is, is the Bible real? If Christianity, what, what happens if this is not real? What happens when I close my eyes and what if I, when I die, I cease to exist? And I'd have this little kind of like, you know when you take Dimetap and it makes your head you know, you kind of shudder? I would kind of shudder like that, like, oh, to cease to exist. That's like the worst possible thing to imagine, like. Um, 
I don't do that anymore. I, I've come to embrace my mortality. I, it's not to be a, I'm not to be afraid of that. I'm not to embrace, I'm not to be afraid of that. I'm supposed to like, you know, yeah, I am going to die. And then life begins. And then eternal life begins when I die. Uh, if you're troubled of heart, if this stuff kind of scares you, I, I really want you to, to walk out of here with peace. I mean, you can have peace about these matters if it's settled with Jesus. I mean, if you've trusted in him with all your heart and you realize he's got you and when you die, you're going to be in heaven, it, 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 just, it just anchors down how you're going to walk through today and tomorrow. It really does. Do you have that peace? Uh, do you have that trust? I mean, the other side of this is, and we'll get here next week, but... That's not only true for you, but that's true for everybody around you. We're all dying. How does that change how we interact with our neighbors, how we interact with each other, how we see day-to-day -day life? I think it gives us a greater sense of intention and focus as we think about these things. That death isn't the end, it's just the beginning.